Well, good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day to all of you dads. I can't tell you how much I admire and look up to men who love the task of raising children. As you know, we are in a series called Summer in the Psalms, and if you haven't, um, if you haven't, you need to catch up on what um, we've been covering so far. Um, we just engaged the emotion. We're engaging our emotions through the Psalms. And um, last week, um, Pastor Rob did an amazing job talking about the emotion of fear. And I lo- love the Psalms. They have always been kind of like a, a life um, heart engagement for me. I grew up um, in high school was, well, actually from a young age, was in theater. And I feel like the Psalms are in a lot of ways like being in theater. And how it, was, it, it, it correlates for me is that, you know, when you get to play a role and get to take on a character, you get to engage all different types of emotions that you wouldn't necessarily or normally get to do, you know? And so sometimes you get to take on this, this a personality that is, that is really robust and really dynamic and you get to be really extroverted and really loud and, and just share all this like depth of emotion that just comes out of you. Or sometimes it can be like, this sadness or this, you know, reclusiveness, you know, whether you're a hermit or just all these different types of characters. I remember as I would take on a role, it just felt like almost cathartic for me because I got to tap into parts of me that I didn't always access by getting to play a character and taking on that personality. Well, this morning, um, we're going to speak, I'm going to speak to you on the emotion through the Psalms uh, that is sadness. Sadness and lament. But do not worry. If you're worried, like, oh gosh, it's Father's Day and we're going to talk about sadness. I promise you that the Holy Spirit has given me a message of hope to give you through this. So I want to start um, with reading a psalm out loud together. Um, this summer, or the, this year, my son and I have been traveling. Uh, we've been visiting different colleges. And there's been two different colleges that we visited where there's just an open um, engagement of the scripture out loud together. And so I just wanted to read that together. So we're going to read um, Psalm 116, um, starting with verse 1. And if you can just follow along on the screen with me. I love the Lord. You're gonna, we're going to read out loud together. <laughs> You're not doing it. Let's try it again. I love the Lord. For he heard my voice, and he heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me. Are we reading a different version? <laughs> oh, no, it didn't get uploaded. Okay, I'm going to read along with you. I'm, so you got, you're all like, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, one more time. Three times a charm. Okay. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. 
Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on the earth. Let's pray together. My title this morning is called A Good Grief. Holy Spirit, we just invite you in this space. God, thank you for what you're already doing in the room. God, we all sensed your presence, Lord, as we worshiped you. And God, I believe that you have a message of hope to meet us in the place of our sadness and grief. And God, I ask that you would open up our hearts to see your perspective and what it means to engage you with the deepest parts of our hearts. Father, you're in control. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recently I've been reading this amazing little book called A Brave Lament. And it's written by a husband and wife together who happen to be therapists um, in Seattle. And it is the story of their journey of lament. And being that it's Father's Day, I wanted to start with this beautiful letter that... Um, the author, the dad actually reads, writes to his son as his name is Brave, who's in utero at the time, his wife's carrying him. Dear Jackson Brave, I cannot wait to meet you. I have dreamed of what you will look like, act like, and what type of man you will become. I must admit, I am terrified to raise you. I am trying to work through the pain of my story around your grandfather, my father, who was not around very much when I was a kid. This will inevitably impact you. I have fought so hard to allow myself to be fathered by others, to father myself, and to allow our God to heal those infant places in my soul. Growing up feeling orphaned, I tried to blaze my own path. Loneliness and fear drove me to brokenness, deep heartache and betrayal of myself and many I was in relationship with. Because of this, I fear for your journey too. I already feel my propensity to guard you, to protect you from this fallen world and not let you be free to find your own way. Yet none of us can escape evil's reach. You will be hurt. You will be betrayed by those you love the most. But my grasp for control over your life only reminds me that I'm called to open my hands wider, to trust a God I often wrestle to believe in. I want to assure you that in the midst of the inevitable pain that you will experience in this world, you are deeply loved and covered. No matter what you choose, where you go or what you do, or how much you shatter my heart, you are madly and unconditionally loved. I really admire the letter that he wrote because not only does it capture this incredible love that only a father could express to his son that is about to come into the world, but it's very honest, isn't it? It carries kind of what I would consider an uncommon vulnerability and truth to the fears, to the heartaches, to the things that we carry into life. And I identify with that letter because as a mother, 
I understand my own brokenness. And having to work through that in raising your child is no easy task. As Christians, many of us have believed that to be a Christ follower, we must practice a type of extreme or exclusive positivity in describing our experiences. Tell me if you don't recognize some thoughts like this that roll around the Christian world that we live in. Don't be negative. We don't want to speak that into existence. Feelings, they're unreliable. They can't be trusted. Just trust God. It'll all work out. If I let myself get sad, isn't that a lack of faith in God? Christians should not complain. We should be grateful in all circumstances. There is truth to these statements, yes. Because of the resurrection, we have hope and we have promise to cling to. And scripture, in fact, does lead our hearts to be thankful and to trust God in the midst of the trials that we endure. But I don't find this tendency to not hold on to God or to not believe to be the greater challenge for us as believers. More often, I encounter believers who don't believe that they have permission to admit or to engage feelings of sadness, heartache, loss, and being heartbroken. But when we read the Bible, and in particularly the Psalms, we read of men and women who get soulfully and brutally honest with God about their fears, their heartaches, and their doubts. I don't know if you know this, but 70% of the Psalms are laments. Did you know that? There's so much beautiful prose all over the Psalms that just every time I read it, I'm like, yes, I feel that. And 70% of them talk about lament. And David was known as the one who was the one after God's own heart. So if we break down in some of the reading plan that we have this week, and I hope that you are reading. I know the QR code was up there at the beginning. It'll pop back at the end, and you can find that online. You can find those at the back of the room in the pamphlets that we're reading. Um, But I hope that you're following along. I read ahead this week in the upcoming reading plan and was just amazed at how much the Psalms dignify my experience as a human being. They really do. Let me read just a couple that are going to come up in our reading this week. Psalm 55, verse 16 through 17 says, But I called to God, and this, if you think about the idea of like, I shouldn't complain, I shouldn't be negative. We'll read this verse. But I called to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. A moan. Did you hear that? I utter my complaint and my moan, and he hears my voice. In regard to feelings, Psalm 55, verse 4 through 5. My heart is in anguish within me. Okay, stop for a minute. It doesn't just say, oh, my heart's just feeling a little down today. It says my heart is in anguish. I don't know if you've been around someone who is in a place of anguish, but that is not a soft emotion. It's not just a little casual, oh, I'm feeling a little weird today. 
My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. And horror overwhelms me. That's kind of dramatic. Horror overwhelms me. In regard to sadness, the emotion of sadness, Psalm 55, verse 8. You have kept count of my tossing. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And that psalm right there is such a beautiful song because it's referring to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah re- talks about this in, his, um, in one of his supplications and laments about how God literally holds our tears in a bottle. Did you know that? Every single cry, every single tear that you cry, whether it hits your face or it rolls down the inside of your soul, the God of this universe captures it in a bottle. And I don't know if you've seen many bottles lately, but typically they're clear. Typically when I think of a a bottle, I think of this glass, you know, holder where literally the tears of your life have been recorded in a bottle and have been held by God. It's beautiful. So what does this teach us? Number one, we can reach out to God. In Psalm 116, we just read it a minute ago, it says, I will call upon him as long as I live. Did you know that in the midst of your sadness and your grief, the things that come up in your life, regardless of what you have heard or believed about Christianity, God does not call you to push them aside and to suppress those things. He calls you to call out to him in your horror, your terror, your grief, the anguish of your soul. Call out to the God of the universe is what he calls us to. Number two, we learn that we can be brutally honest with God. If you go and read through the Psalms as we're doing this reading plan, if you really look at David, and some of the things that he says to God, I promise you, you're, at times you're going to think, the guy is crazy. I think he's manic, right? Because you hear, as you read, I was reading one of the Psalms yesterday, or this morning, I think it was verse um, four, uh, uh, chapter 40 in the reading plan, and you hear almost this like, and I was praying it over the audience, our, our congregation this morning, this sense of like, almost like a wave of the sea that kind of rocks right in, where he, David will just like fly up in this emotion of anger or like fear or terror, and then he says, but then I trust in you, God. But God, this, 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 this is what I'm feeling, I'm experiencing, I'm about to die, I'm about to be killed, that someone is after my life, who will save me? Where are you, God? but I trust in you. So he doesn't suppress those things. He actually is honest with God. Number three, God actually listens to our cries. Psalm 116 verse two, we just read it. He heard my cry and he has turned his ear to me. All all throughout scripture, God calls us to this radical kind of faith to be people who have life-giving spirits, who are grateful, who understand the promise of God, who understand what faith is, but who also can be honest in our faith before him. Consider the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. If God really wanted us to just name it and claim it and believe all day that we've been blessed and we are good and just claim the promises, why do you think this book of lamentations is in the Bible? 
It's an engagement for us. It's a model. It's an archetype of what it means to bring our lament before the living God of this universe. All over scripture, you can read it through the Psalms, but most compelling to me is Jesus. There's a beautiful story. If we had time to read it, I would, but you probably know it or have heard of it, where Jesus had a best friend, apparently. His name is Lazarus. And the sisters and the family members had come to Jesus, who was walking on the path and was walking toward um, a part of town. And the family members came running up to them, and they said, Jesus, Jesus, have you heard? Lazarus is going to die. He is so sick. He's about to pass away. And they're panicked. They're crying. They know he's a healer. They know he's a miracle worker. And Jesus turns to them, and he says, Lazarus will not die. He will live. So he tells the women, don't worry. He will live. He will not die. Then fast forward a few verses into this passage. Jesus shows up, and there's the tomb, and Lazarus has, is dead. And what does Jesus do? The shortest verse in all of Scripture, you've probably heard it, two words, Jesus wept. Okay, why did Jesus weep? Weep. He just, a few passages back, told the people, don't worry. He knew. He's the son of God. We know the story. We read ahead. He's about to raise him, Lazarus, from the dead. But it says Jesus wept. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around someone who is weeping. It is a very different experience than a little tear or a little misting of the eye. When someone weeps, it takes over them where you aren't able to control yourself. It fills your body, and it pours out of your soul. That is what Scripture says that Jesus did. Is that not an invitation to us? Is that not in there for a reason that Jesus chose to share his humanity? Lazarus was his best friend. He didn't just name it and claim it, speak the blessing, speak positivity, you're a Christian, say all the good things you know are true about Scripture. He paused and he wept for his best friend. He allowed his humanity. It's why Jesus came to the earth over and over and over. We know this about God. We had an idea, but prior to the coming of Christ, that God, this loving king, this good man that has come to redeem us, what did, you, what did God do? He sent himself in a human, a human being to express his very nature. It was not an accident that Jesus chose to weep in that moment. He did that for you, and he did that for me. We have tear ducts in our eyes in the way that we were created by God. So the challenge for us as believers it's rather than minimizing, ignoring, or spiritualizing away our feelings. Scripture invites us, and we see it in the Psalms, to come to him with this honest kind of faith. Not an extreme kind of faith that only says the promises of God, but an honest faith that says, God, this is my situation. What do I do? I am hurting God. 
I know that you are the king. I know that your promises never fail me, but I'm coming to you honestly, God, like I see in scripture. He invites us to a wholeheartedness that brings the fullness of our lives to him. The joys and the the heartbreaks, the hope and the loneliness, the beauty and the loss. As Paul writes, to know Christ by sharing in his sufferings so that we too may experience the resurrection. Philippians chapter 3, go read it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, being found in his death, so that I might so somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. We can't attain the resurrection if we haven't experienced the death with him. Jesus, the only reason we know the resurrection is because of his death. And that is how he invites us to know him. Later on, if you read in this book, I want to read a couple passages because um, after after this letter was written by this therapist, um, a week before his wife was due to have their child, they had a tragic, there was a tragic cord accident that happened inside of her womb that was missed by, potentially by a doctor, and the baby died in womb um, a week before she was um, set to give birth. And in this book, it shares a gut-wrenching, honest lament of their experience. And I want to read um, with sensitivity, knowing that some of you in this room may have experienced the loss of a child. So please stay with me and know that God is with us in this as we read it together. This is from Andrew, and then I'm going to read from Christy. She says, he says, our grief was a dirty, cursing lament, a grief fraught with so much pain and rage that we can't bear one more testimony in which everything turned out awesome because of Jesus. We needed the author's blood on the pages. We needed a Jesus who was just as brokenhearted as we were, not some cosmic jerk who caused or allowed the death of our son. We could not believe in a cruel or passive God when God was all we had left. And this is from Christy. I just want to break things. There are not enough broken things in this world. A world that desperately avoids its brokenness is no world at all for me. A gospel that avoids death is not good news. To live honestly is to live in the messy truth that joy and sorrow inhabit the same heart. Heartbreak and torture dance with laughter and joy. This is the paradox that few have the courage to hold. Do I? The truth is it is not very comfortable to be this honest. Instead, typically we fall into two categories, generally, in expressing, dealing with our sadness and our grief. Number one, avoidance. A deadening, what I call a deadening of our humanity. This comes from unprocessed sadness or loss that manifests in checking out, running away, burying, over-spiritualizing, withdrawing, or numbing. 
And numbing can happen through, through different ways of like illicit things where we numb ourselves through intoxicants or through just benign things where we just like, we just choose to like, kind of like we're here, but we're not, you know? Maybe you've known someone like that. Maybe that's been your tendency. When, when grief or when heartache kind of pops up in your life, you tend to just deaden yourself. And it kind of falls on two different spectrums. So the other end of the extreme, and so, oh wait, so I want to um, show a clip um, from a movie that has always been one of my favorites um, called Goodwill Hunting. And in this um, scene, you see um, Matt Damon, who has basically gotten in trouble and has had to go like do some community service and he ends up getting assigned to a counselor to help him deal with his anger issues. Um, and so let's watch that real quick. So the second way that we tend to um, deal with our humanity is ra rather than deadening it, we exploit it. Unprocessed sadness or loss that manifests in resentment or bitterness comes in the form many times of either blowing up in anger or aggression, contempt where there's a pointed anger at someone or a belief that one is deserving of scorn, blaming or accusing, sarcasm, or even as simple as just cutting off. We know it as ghosting. But what if we welcomed our full humanity? Rather than when sadness or something triggers us in a relationship where all of a sudden we're feeling some kind of way and we don't know what, where it really comes from, and so we kind of act out or we deaden ourselves. We either exploit or we numb. What if we brought the fullness of our humanity to God? Pete Scazzaro writes, an emotionally healthy spirituality, to feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is distortion of what it means to be made in the, as image bearers of God. In Genesis 1.27, we read, And God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In many texts, if you dive into the, uh, to the word image, it's defined as a reflection or a mirror. And God is defined all over scripture, of course, as glory. The glory cloud that comes upon when Moses like, would enter the tent, it says that he would come out and his face would be shining with the glory of God. When God would show up in the Old Testament, you couldn't look at his face. People would fall down because of the glory of God. That was his, his unbelievable power and purity that as humans we can't stand in. And so when we take on this, when we think of the idea of the image of God, that we are created in the image of God, that means we are created to reflect his glory. But later, right next in the next chapter, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says, talking about Adam and Eve when they were created, it says, the two of them were naked, the man and his wife, yet they felt no shame. So here we have two human beings created by God in his perfect image and likeness called forth to display the glory of God, and they were naked. Adam and Eve's vulnerability, their full humanity was on display, and they felt no shame about it. This is a profound archetype about the nature of God. If there's one thing that you remembered from this morning, my heart, 
I believe the heart of God wants to say to you that from the very beginning of time, God's intention was that our vulnerability be connected to our glory and not our shame. From the very beginning of time in the garden, God's intention was that our vulnerability, the fullness of who we are standing naked for all to see, is not supposed to be connected to shame. It's supposed to be connected to the glory of God. That's how he created them in the garden. They felt no shame. God has made us as whole people, ignoring, and in ignoring any aspect of who we are as people made in his image is like cutting off an essential part of our humanity. Thomas Merton said, rather than deadening our humanity, instead we should be setting it free to develop richly in all of its capacities under the influence of grace. I want to invite the band up um, to come. So what I believe this morning that Jesus is inviting us to is this honest kind of faith. You don't have to wait till heaven for the healing of your broken heart. There is a person who has the power to heal that wound. Psalm 147 says, The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. But we can't hide in shame. Instead, God is inviting us to come to him and to share honestly with him to allow his comfort to come to us. And I, when Jesus came into the temple in Luke, he opened a scroll that was from Isaiah 61 that I want to read this morning as we end and as we um, uh, welcome uh, a little time of prayer here in a minute. I like to call this passage a beautiful exchange. So the first part of it is really championing. And I think any of us in the room would say, yes, I want all of that. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bring freedom to the captives, that the blind would see and that the oppressed would be set free. And then this is what I like to call the beautiful exchange, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve, to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Did you know that your ashes of your life, when you bring those to God, honestly and fully, that literally the very nature of God wants to take a crown and place it on your head. For every place that your heart has sorrow and heartache that maybe you have never talked about, or maybe it pops up in your relationships and you just push it aside time and time again, where the Spirit of God is saying, would you come to me? I'm actually wanting to give you beauty, a crown that adorns you. To bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of spirit of despair. This is the heart of God. You know, as I was praying this morning, as I was just walking the room, I felt like the Spirit of God just wanted me to share that for some of you in this room, I believe that you have believed truly the Word of God in its truth 
to, to live in the promise of God, to claim the truth of the scripture, but have not given yourself this permission also to be in this honest kind of faith. And the challenge is that it's wracking havoc on your relationships. There's some of you in this room that you are in a relationship. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with a significant other. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's with a best friend that you have been so at odds with. And you have no idea that lament is the pathway toward healing in that relationship. Because the reality is we, for the unresolved places of our life that we don't bring to the Lordship of Jesus, we're gonna get triggered all the time. Because what we're gonna do is what I described that extreme, our bodies are either gonna go to shutdown and then we push people away that we care about because we can't deal. It reminds us of stuff. We don't understand how to be vulnerable. We don't know how to receive comfort from someone or give it because we haven't experienced it for ourselves because of the abandonment in our lives, the places of healing that have, or places of brokenness that have never been engaged. And so you just push, 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 push away. Secondly, there's some of you in this room that I believe the Spirit of God wants to say that you have believed, and especially if I can just lovingly call out the men with compassion, because this has been a generational thing. So vulnerability is attached to weakness. If I share my vulnerability, if I share the places that I'm not really sure about how I feel about in my life right now, I don't really feel like I have the answers. I actually feel really broken. No, 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 no. I'm gonna be weak if I do that, and I'm supposed to be strong, and you are. But the problem is, we're missing the power of God when we do that. And that's for some women in the room too. Don't think you're out. Don't think you're out, women. Because the, Paul said to us, I want to, I want to know Christ because in my weakness, there I am strong. There in my weakness, I am strong so that the power of God might be displayed in me. So I want to, Paul actually said, I want to boast about my weakness. He wanted to tell the world about his weakness because in his weakness, it says the power of God might be displayed. So some of us in the room have believed this lie that if you show your vulnerability, if you live in that, that you're going to be weak. And actually, yes, you are. But we cannot experience the fullness of the power of God if we don't embrace our weakness. Who are we, who are we fooling? Right? I, I don't know how many times in my life I've done it where I have believed that I have just got to be strong. I've just got to like power up, shield up, put out all of the things that keep me on the outside strong when inside I'm like crumbling. All the while what Jesus is saying, you're missing my power, Mari. That's exactly where I want you to come. I actually want you to bring your sadness. I want you to bring your heartache to me because I am waiting to pour out my power in your life. It is right here in Scripture. And the last thing that I believe the Spirit of God would want to say as we um, is get ready to pray and end this morning is that in this passage we read from Isaiah 61, when we engage our story with God, it says he wants to comfort all who mourn. And in my life, I can tell you 100%, the times and experiences that I have had the most intimate comfort 
and strength from God have been when I have poured out my heart to Him. And that, is, that means like when I poured out my anger at Him. When I poured out like, God, I don't think you're coming through for me. I have been crying out for this for so long, God, and I'm tempted to push you away from my life, but God, I trust that you are in my story, that you are in my brokenness, that you are with me in this journey. But I'm gonna tell you, God, I'm angry at you. I feel abandoned by you, God. He welcomes you. It is all over scripture to come. And in those times where I've been brutally honest with God in my own life, I have experienced comfort from the Holy Spirit that I cannot describe to you with words. And that is the invitation of the Lord for us today. So as the band plays, as um, Kason just leads us in a really special song, if you want to just stand up this morning. And I'd like to ask if any of our elders, our small group leaders that are available, if you just would be willing to stand on the sides um, to be available to pray. And what I'm going to encourage, ask you to do, the question, oh, my question, I'm supposed to ask. The question that is for our reading this week is, how can you invite the Lord into the injured places of your heart this week? And so the invitation this morning is into courage. Maybe you fall into one of those categories that I just named where you feel like you've been pushing people away for a long time and you don't know how to show up in that vulnerability. You can have someone pray with you or just come kneel before the Lord and say, God, I want to come. I want to live in this honest kind of faith that we read about in the Psalms. I don't know how to do that. I'm not good at that. Confess your weakness to the Lord that his power might fail you this morning. So I just want to open up this altar this morning to be a healing place for you to be honest with God. Will you come?